Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. In Jeremiah, we learned something amazing, right? That God knew us before we were even born. And not only did he know us, but he also had a purpose for us. And we're going to talk more about that today. So he, he fashions us. He creates us with those purposes in mind. And I love that we're all different. And it shows, just shows us that God has different things that he's doing. And so he's going to call each and every one of us. And there's different reasons that we're here. The Bible also tells us that kids are a gift from God. And we're, we're blessed by that, right? A reward from him. Psalm 127 tells us that. The, the Beekmans recognize this. And in response would like to dedicate their son, Theodore to God. We, we don't baptize children because we believe baptism is about a decision that you make, but we can dedicate kids and dedicate to grow them up in the Lord. There's an amazing picture of this with Samuel when he too was dedicated to God and became Israel's high priest. Um, before we dedicate Theodore, I want to remind you of some of the responsibilities you have with your children, Beekman's. Uh, and ask you to commit to this path. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm, at the end of that, going to ask all of you if you will uh, answer that you'll do this. All right? God commands parents to teach their children to know about him and to encourage them to follow him. Psalm 78. In Deuteronomy 6, parents are told to teach their kids the word of God, to impress it on them. It's also your responsibility to teach Theodore to have reverence for the Lord, to encourage him to abstain from evil associates and habits. If that's your choice, if that's what you're saying, I want to ask you, will you endeavor to do so by the help of God? If so, say, we will. That's the charge they have. It's a serious and big responsibility as parents. But he also gives the same charge to us as his church family, as their church family, right? I now ask you, their family, their church family, will you commit yourselves as their family, as the body of Christ, to support and encourage these parents, right? They're going to need that. As they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities to this child, to assist them by encouraging his growth towards spiritual maturity. Think about this before you say you will. Don't agree to it unless you're committed to it. But if so, will you answer, we will? Well, it is my privilege then to dedicate Theodore. I'm going to switch mics so I can get hands free. Theodore Barrett Beekman, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Adobe, we have a a gift for you guys. It's a Bible in here, a small toy, and his dedication certificate. If you don't mind, we like to show off babies in this church, so if you let Adobe take them around and you guys can all see, and would you give them a round of applause?
If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. <clears throat> Before we get there, I want to I read Romans 8.28. You know this verse. We quote this verse. It's a big part of who we are, but I want you to pay attention to the last part of it this time. All right? Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, right? Who have been called according to his purpose. Who have been called according to his purpose. Very importantly, let's not misapply this verse to every person, right? This is meant to those who love him. To those, to those people, each and every one of us, we have a call to fulfill the purposes of God. That means every single Christ follower has a call of God on their life. I want to shatter the idea that only pastors and missionaries or just certain people are called by God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called according to the purposes of God. We all, those that love God, we all have that in common. But there's one thing that separates us. And that is our response, right? It's not whether or not some of us will get a call or some of us have a call, right? It's whether or not we will answer the call, whether or not we will say yes or no. Will we answer it or will we ignore it? I I probably shouldn't say it because the call of God or the purposes of God is two-part, right? We are called to be someone And we are called to do something. The Holy Spirit was sent to us because there is a call of God on our life for us to be like Christ, right? But there is no way possible I can ever be like Christ apart from the power of God. That is the only way I have a chance to be there. This is a concept that Nazarenes refer to as sanctification. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be holy. We are called to die to ourselves and our own wants and our own desires and live for him. And if we do that, he will transform us more and more every day to look like Jesus. You're called to be like him. And the only way you'll be like Christ is if you spend time at his feet, in his presence, allowing the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. You have to lay everything down in order to get there. Those of you, we're all in different stages. Different stages of our walk. And and those of you who are in this place at the feet of Christ, surrendering your life to Christ, you are the most alive. You are, you are the mo- ones who are the most fulfilled when you find the purposes of God and respond to those. Those uh, of you have the most joy, right? Even if the storms come, even when the storms come, you're the ones who are fully engaged and can still have that peace, right? Those of you, though, who are bored with Christianity, those of you who think Christianity is dull are most likely the least 
engaged with this and the, have the least understanding of this. You, you just don't get it right now. You can't see it. You haven't experienced it yet. But I pray that day comes, right? And I want to encourage you in this direction because I was once there. I was once in the place where my mom had to drag me to church and I didn't really want to be here. And, and it's much different now, though, today. I long to be not in church. I long to be a part of the church. I long to be used by God in the wrecking and the turning of upside-down lives. Right? There's nothing better than that. I have a God-given purpose in my life. And it's to be like him and to do the things that he calls me to do. Some of you are ed- on the edge of the deep pool, right? The deep end. And he's calling you to jump in. And maybe you don't think you can swim. But he says, jump. Will you answer that call? There's a story of Jonathan in the Bible who was the son of King Saul, best friend to to the later King David. And, and he's with his armor bearer, and they're camped up on one hill. And it's found in 1 Samuel 14. This Philistine army was camped up on this other hill. And God must have stirred something in Jonathan's heart because him and his armor bearer go over to take on the Philistines. They crossed over this, this long walk, right? And God enabled him to strike down 20 of the enemy. And when the Philistines saw this happen, fear spread through their camp. And it says that God shook the ground and they melted away in all directions. Two guys standing at one time on the side of a hill, unengaged. God stirs their heart and they go and confront something. They follow his call and are used mightily for God. I think some of us are sitting in the pews today, unengaged with anything, and we're bored. I hope we're tired, though, of sitting on the sidelines. I hope we're really looking for meaning instead of just being here complaining about everything and how bad everything is and and wish God would do something about it. I hope we would hear the call to get engaged and jump in that deep end. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids, your friends don't know Christ. Maybe there's something to be confronted at work. Maybe you're called to bring Jesus to your schools. Right, teens? Maybe he's calling you to your neighborhoods. I don't know what it is. But will you answer it? Will you answer that call? Maybe one of you is being stirred, or maybe in the future you will experience the call that does stir your heart, right? What you will discover is that it takes an extreme amount of courage to answer that call. If you haven't discovered that already, you will discover that, right? Anybody that's ever stepped out, anybody that's ever jumped in the deep end, Uh, anybody who's ever started heading over to the enemy camp to follow the call of God, you find out very quickly it's going to take a lot of courage to do it, at least the first times. That's why the enemy works so hard to discourage 
us, right? I don't know if you realize this, but he comes to disarm you of your courage. That's his goal, right? Because if he can discourage you in your marriage, in your finances, with your future, he's hoping that you'll do what most Christians do and just stay on the sidelines. Avoid the confrontation, avoid the battle, run back and not be used for the purposes of God. We can't be that. First Kings 19. This is part of the story of Elijah. If you know the story of Elijah, then you know of the time that he was on Mount Carmel right before this in chapter 18 with all the prophets of Baal. He's facing 450 prophets of Baal, and each of them are going to call on their particular God, their own God, and ask them to send fire down to burn up these offerings, these sacrifices. It's one of the most amazing stories Amazing victories in the Bible. And Elijah had the courage to stand on the side of the mountain and declare to an entire nation, right, that his God was real and that his God would respond, right, and answer. And God did. He responds with fire that comes down. The people drop to their knees and they cry out, right, when they see this, the Lord He is God, and God gave him an amazing victory. Here's the thing, though. Even though he had that amazing experience in chapter 18, we find him in chapter 19, the great prophet of God. We find him depressed and discouraged. Shortly after this amazing moment, we find him wanting to die. He says, just let me die, right? Elijah People of God are not supposed to get discouraged. People of God are not supposed to want to die, right? But here it is. Great prophet. I'm so glad that they include that in the Bible so that we can cut through those stigmas, right? That, that we shouldn't struggle with depression and, and uh, discouragement. It happens sometimes. It happens to him. He's pretty amazing. It can happen to us, right? How did Elijah get there, though? I believe it comes from believing three lies from the enemy. Number one, that hope has been lost. Number two, that God is not with him or God was not for him. And number three, that he was on this journey alone. Today, we struggle with those same three lies. And I believe that just about in any area of your life, if you are discouraged about something or dealing with hopelessness, it's probably connected to a lie from the enemy that you're believing. We could approach our finances with the belief that God is in control, that God owns everything, right? That there's nothing that God can't, can't do. That God has got the whole world is in his hands except for in the area of our finances, right? He's just not for me in that area. Is that true? Or is that a lie, right? Have you ever really thought about that? We all believe, or we should at least believe that God is for us. Right? If he is really a loving father, as the Bible claims, right, surely he would be for us. So why would we approach anything thinking that he's against us? All comes from believing lies from the enemy, pure and simple. First Kings 19, beginning of verse 1, would you stand in honor of God's word?
Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever said that? He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. If you know the rest of the story, you know that the Lord meets with him and speaks to him. How did Elijah, this amazing prophet of God, get to this place of discouragement, especially after he just experienced the amazing time at Mount Carmel? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, would you speak to us? Father, I know that we all experience hopelessness and discouragement. Father, would you show us what to do with that? especially if somebody's dealing with that today. Lord, we love you. We give you all praise. Open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts to hear what you have to say. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. How did he get there? Here's what I think happened. I think Elijah got worn out. I believe he's been prophesying for three years about a drought. The land goes into a massive famine, right? Israel, the entire nation, I'm sure, is blaming him for what they're dealing with. He's been having to deal with this for three years. Ahab is chasing him everywhere. He's having to get food from widows. After three years, he has this victory. But sometimes the victories cause us to drop our guards. And I think he just got to the place where he was spent. And when we're worn out, we also drop our, guard, our guards. Especially, like I said, when we have those mountaintop experiences. right? When, when you get worn down, you, you drop your guard in a way that you would never before and you believe lies that you would never believe otherwise. And they get a foothold in your life. In, in karate or boxing, they tell you to always keep your hands up. Keep your guard up, right? You have to guard the most important part, the most vulnerable part, and that's your face, right? When you're sparring, you always try to get a person to drop their hands and get access to their face. So you stand, start landing blows to their stomach or their legs, hoping that they'll start pulling their hands down. And when you see that start to happen, you know you're going to have access to the place that you need to have access to. That's the same philosophy our enemy has with us. Proverbs 4.23, I want this to be a verse that speaks to us in a mighty way today. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, 
guard your heart for everything you do, right, flows from it. Will you remember, will you memorize that verse? Will you let that sink into your hearts, right? Proverbs wisdom literature is saying that whatever priority that you have in this life, above all the others, guard your heart. Because everything we do will come from that. Somehow, we know this, right? This is not a surprise to any of us in here, but somehow we don't take this seriously and we don't guard our heart. We drop our guard. And that's what I believe happened with Elijah in this moment. And when that happened, lies that at one time couldn't get in finally were able to get in like they had never had before. When a medic comes to a scene, right, they have to quickly assess the situation. They have to see what, what's going on. They have to make sure the scene's safe too. But they look at that person that's hurt and they assess what's going on. What's the most important thing that I need to take care of and look at first, right? If somebody's got a broken ankle and they can't breathe, they're going to take care of the breathing first, right? Forget the broken ankle for now. We're going we're gonna to see what is in most need. If somebody's bleeding out and they've got a dislocated shoulder, what do you think they're going to work on first? The bleeding out, right? The shoulder, we'll deal with that later. Most of us have been in accidents or in trauma or in our, in our lives, or we have friends that have been as well. What's priority one? It's got to be guard your heart. It's got to be the first thing that we take care of. When life's coming at you, when the enemy's coming at you, things are hard, guard your heart. Don't let your hands come down, right? When the bunch of punches start coming in you, don't drop your guard. That's how marriages end, right? We let our guard down. We start having a conversation with somebody that we shouldn't have a conversation. We start looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at, right? And something finds access. And before you know it, we're doing something that we really regret. Before you know it, that marriage is ended. We have to be people that above all else guard our hearts. Right? That's why people leave churches, because they're overwhelmed with lies of offense and bitterness, and it hits us, and we drop our guard. That's why people leave the faith. Sometimes we, we see these things happen to other people, and we're like, that is the last person that I thought would do that thing. Right? Have you ever had that thought? That happens because that person dropped their guard. That person did not guard their hearts. When the punches start coming in, right, we have to assess very quickly what matters most. I got to guard my heart. I cannot give the enemy access to it. Are you right now dropping your guard, rationalizing, excusing something in your life right now? Stop it. Above all else, guard your heart, right? In all honesty, it's easy to drop your guard. We get worn out by life sometimes. Sometimes you're doing everything you should and that unexpected bill comes in, right, out of the blue. You know God's your provider. You know he's Jehovah Jireh, right? But then your car breaks down. And then you got to take your kid to the emergency room. And the blows just keep coming. Sometimes you just get hit. And sometimes it just happens that you guard your heart. 
Went to NYC. I go. I get there. I got no room to stay in, right? I didn't get my room till after 11 o'clock that night. I get up. We got no coffee, right? There's a Starbucks there, but the line is like a block long, and I didn't really want to pay that much money as much as I drink coffee. That would have been a small fortune, right? So I go to the gift shop there. I buy this little 12-ounce can of Starbucks coffee, because that's all they had, and I paid $6.99 for it. $6.99. I can't afford that, right? We got a 1,000 people in our hotel trying to use the elevators, so we're stuck at times for 20 or 30 minutes waiting just to get on those elevators. There's one time that we get on the elevators, and because of that wait, everybody was always jam-packing them. It's so jam-packed that the elevator breaks one time, and so we're in there for like 15 minutes with no air and you couldn't move at all because it's so jam-packed, right? We got a district leader that loves to have late-night sessions at 11.30, sometimes till 12.30, right, after a long day, and he wants to joke around during them and then just, like, just get to the message that you want to speak, right? I end up losing my room while I was there and told I didn't have it booked on the last day and had to sort all that out. The, gate, the day comes to move to another hotel, and we're out there trying to be good people and help with the food, help get the other people the food, right? And uh, we're told, hey, we're going to take this food on the buses, but they don't send enough buses. So the Willer Church gets put on a little van, and the little van driver says, you can't eat in here. (laughs) So we had a two-hour trip to our next place where we were very hungry and not able to eat. Then when we get there, we've got nine people in our group, and there's only six Subway boxes for us to eat. There's a cafeteria there, but the cheapest meal is $15 without a drink. Then you wait, and you finally get your room assignments. Some of us later again, and you find out one of your kids has been assigned to a different room, so you've got to straighten that out. And then you have kids losing their room keys, and you've got to figure that out. And uh, one of us had to spend... <laughs> every night in the room with three other people that love to talk late and snore. Right, Jody? Yeah. Yeah. And and play their white noise, yes. Uh, Sometimes the blows just keep coming. And sometimes you just drop your guard and you get a little cranky. Right? Sometimes in life there's just a lot happening and you don't know if it's the enemy. You don't know if it's a trial. You don't know if it's just life. But sometimes in those seasons... That fight lasts a lot longer than you were prepared for, and you end up dropping your guard a little bit. It's like you think the trip's over, it's time to come home, you're excited to do that, but on the last leg of the journey, right, your flight gets delayed. You've been up since 3 a.m., you've spent two hours in, the, in a line at that time, uh, you got a three and a half hour layover to start, and then you start to board the plane, and they delay it. And then you start to board the plane, and they delay it. And then you start to board the plane, and you delay it. Not to mention somebody in your group loses their ticket twice that day, and you got to figure that one out. <laughs> you finally get on the plane, and the pilot says, ah, oh, we're going to have to get refueled, so you got to wait another half an hour. You finally get refueled, and then it's a matter of waiting in line to take off, and that was another 45 minutes, right? And all you want to do is get home. Sometimes you're ready for a 10-round fight, but it goes 14. Sometimes it's really hard to keep your guard up, right? 
Side note, I want to brag on the kids. Because all through that delay, all through those hours, right, the, the flight attendant, as we were finally getting on, took, it, took the time to tell us that those were the best kids with this type of situation that she's ever experienced. I think she said the best group. And she knew that we were, we were followers of Christ, right? They, that said volumes to them. That's an example, right? That's a witness. How do you keep your guard up, though? When life keeps swinging at you. Let me give you three things from this passage that I think stand out. Three things. Number one, don't underestimate, don't underestimate the power of a nap and a meal, right? Notice Elijah takes a couple naps and gets a couple meals in him. Sometimes we get so worn down, we just need some rest, right? We need a Sabbath day off, a nap, good nourishment in our body. I strongly believe in prayer and fasting, right? But sometimes the solution is to get to bed and just eat healthy because you're worn out. God let him sleep twice. God fed him twice, right? If your spouse is worn out, tell them to go take a nap and get some food for them, right? Don't underestimate the physical. Don't somehow think it's not tied to the spiritual to actually get some rest, God wants us to, like I said, to take a day off every week just to rest and not be too busy. If you don't, don't be surprised if your guard starts to come down because you're working all the time, right? Second thing is keep one foot in the water. The phrase comes from what I've read about Navy SEALs in the Vietnam era. That was a phrase that they had. Always keep one foot in the water. The water is a safe haven for seals. They train in it. They know it better than anyone else, right? It's where they're most comfortable and the most confident. When they're engaged with the enemy, they're always connected to the water. They always know where the water is because it might be a level playing field out there, but if they can get back to the water, if they can retreat to it, then they'll have the advantage. As believers, our default mode, our default area is to stay connected to the presence of God, to stay in the word of God. What did Elijah do here? He was afraid and he ran away. We got to run too, right? I always have to have one foot in the water. That, that means I always have to be in the word daily, Right? I have to have it hidden in my heart. I have to be able to memorize it and have it so that I can bring it about. Right? We always have to be in his presence regularly. That's where we need to retreat to. That's where we need to deploy from. Right? That has to be the default mode of my life. When I'm under fire, when I'm under attack, when the blows start coming in, when life is overwhelming, I am always connected to the presence of God and can get in that. Right, And I'm always connected to the Word of God so I hear the truth instead of the lies that are being spoken to me. It is, my friends, one reason why church is so important. Right? Coming to church every Sunday is not some legalistic, religious thing that we do. It's the ability to say, man, I have to consistently keep myself in place where I am connected to his presence and I'm in the word of God and that's what we do here we encourage people to be in his presence and we encourage people to be in the word 
of God. I need that pull regularly in my life. There are lies that I will believe where I'm at, but when I get into his presence, when I get into his word connected to it, those lies cannot exist there, right? Truth comes when I get into his presence. So many believers, they drop their guard. They get disconnected from the water, right? We have to be believers that say, I'm going to keep one foot in there at all times. I'm always going to be in the word of God and in the presence of God. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to get my family to church because I get pulled into the presence of God. I hear the word of God when I'm there, right? Last thing, number three. We see the other mistake Elijah makes in this passage. Also in verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. That's where he runs away from God. And then it says, when he came to Bersida in Judah, he left his servant there. Number three. Don't show up alone, right? Isolation is a killer for a believer, pure and simple. It's fascinating to me that Elijah literally left behind somebody to walk a day's journey into the wilderness to complain to God. Jonathan took his armor bearer with him to take on the Philistines. Throughout Scripture, we see encouragement comes from other believers, When you're isolated, you become a prime target for lies and discouragement. The enemy wants you to quit coming to church. The enemy wants you to pull back from your other believer friends, right? God puts us together with other people, though. It's Moses with Joshua. It's Mordecai with Esther. It's Barnabas with Paul. It's Paul with Timothy, right? Jesus sends the disciples out in pairs of two. We're, we're made for connectivity. We're made to be connected to other people. We're made for community. It's a constant theme throughout Scripture where God is connecting people together, and yet the enemy wants to separate you. Paul writes this in Romans 1, 11 through 12. He says this, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Isn't that awesome? I don't think you know how important you are. I don't think you know how important you are to me. I don't know if you understand just how much your presence sometimes encourages me or how your lack of presence discourages me when we're doing something and only a few people show up. I get discouraged. The enemy is working to separate you from this church family, from other believers. And if he can get you to quit coming right, you'll drop your guard, you'll believe the lies, and you'll become discouraged. When I get with you guys and I hear stories of your faith, man, that's encouraging. That encourages me to preach harder. That encourages me to stand, right? When everything else is hitting 
One of the main ways that you can guard yourself from the lies of the enemy is community. You weren't meant to do life on your own. Don't try it. Don't show up to the battle by yourself. Grab somebody and say, will you go with me to this place to do this thing, right? Think about what happened this season in softball. I don't know if you've been a part of that, but we've got our butt kicked in the beginning. Pretty bad, pretty, pretty bad. And how discouraging was that? Did you want to keep playing softball players when that was happening? But when we all showed up, even if we didn't win, it was encouraging, right? When we got our old pitcher back, some ringers, it's encouraging. It's really encouraging. When we're in community together, right, it's encouraging. I don't know if we get that. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if you understand how important you are. You are given a gift, a spiritual gift by God. And we need to bring those gifts together to be used for his purposes, to build the church, right? At times you might not feel like showing up, but your presence has the power to encourage others. Well, I'm not going to get anything out of it. You're not always supposed to come to get something out of it. You're supposed to come to share your faith with somebody that needs to be encouraged, right? Yeah, you might not get anything out of it. I sometimes go to classes, I don't get anything out of it. But I'm there to encourage. I'm there to show up. I'm there to add, not to get. We need you. You're important. I love hearing your stories. They make the classes, right? You just don't attend church. You're a part of the church. You are the church, right? You want to know why so many people are getting absolutely obliterated in their walk? It's because they're trying to do it by themselves. Get a small group going. Start one. Get a community. Get a crew, right? Doesn't it give you courage to stand? That's the beauty of marriage. If Adivy is by my side, I can stand, right? You, everybody else can be swinging at me, but I've got, got one person by my side who's in my corner, who's encouraging me, then I stand. If you don't have that one person, though, that really good friend, that really good believer, that spouse, it's a lot easier to fall. It's a lot easier to fail. Your guard comes down, right? And you start believing the lies and you get discouraged. You'll fold. Get, get a battle, buddy. Get somebody who will stand beside you, somebody who will hold you accountable, somebody that will encourage you, right? Amen? Stand with me. My friend, it takes real courage to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. Don't do it alone. Predators look for the strays. They try to separate one from the flock, and they go after that one to pick them off. Don't think, ah, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be in a small group. Think about what's going to be missing if you're not there, right? 
My friends, keep one foot in the water. Be in the Word, in His presence, right? When the punches start coming at you, get back in the water. Get in the Word. Get in His presence. And take some naps, right? Take some naps. Take a day off of work. You've got to, to get rejuvenated and to spend more time in his presence. My friends, God has a plan for your life. God has purposes designed that you were created to do. You and you alone. He knit you. He fashioned you for those individual purposes. Find them out. Spend time at his feet. Listen to what he calls you to do. And respond by saying yes. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who does care about us. We thank you that you are a God who is at work all around us. We thank you that you are a God who calls us to be a part of what you're doing. We are blessed immensely by that. Father, allow us to hear you. Open our eyes and our ears for those messages and give us the courage to say yes. Give us a person that will stand by us so that we can say yes, right? Lord, give us a hunger for your word and for your presence, Lord. Put it on our hearts that we just want to be around you, Lord, and transform us from the inside out to look more like you so that those around us don't see us but see you. Lord, we love you. And we give you praise. And Father, remind us, remind us to above all else, guard our hearts, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed.